Thank you, brother. Thank you all again for just being here tonight. And before we get going, a couple things I want you to know as I get settled up here. The uh, first thing being that, you know, tonight is, again, something we've always wanted to do. Yet at the same time, we want to be respectful of your time. So these Wednesday night gatherings, if we look up and it's 7, we're going to start shutting it down, closing it up, because it's school nights, uh, y'all got work. So we want to look at them as about an hour of your time, 6 to 7 of worship, God's Word. And we also want to use the time to highlight things, as Joseph did with youth, and thanking our, our youth team and our youth volunteers. However, if Wednesday nights is something you're like, you know, God is leading me not only here to this place, but here to, to serve Wednesday nights and, and develop this. Because it, it, uh, it takes a lot of folks. Ask Jill Bowden. She's back there and making sure our kids are taken care of and, and the food truck. And so if there's food and there's child care, uh, there's some organizational stuff. So if you want to help with Wednesday nights, a ministry, and it is going to be a ministry, then just uh, give Jill a shout out. Jill, is she just take off? Where is she? she she's not even here. She's <laughs> who's she checking on? She's checking on the children. There she goes. So, but if y'all know Jill, give her a shout out because we want to grow this, and it'll take. There's Jill. Just giving you a shout out, Jill. So, but what Wednesday nights are about is is two things. One is to connect people, uh, and some of y'all this may be some of y'all this may be more more powerful. I mean, the smaller space, it's a different space. As Joseph said, we want to make it really a family feel. We're going to do different things. It's not just going to be preaching and teaching. We're going to have some plays. We're going to do some Q&A stuff. We want to do creative things that uh, may connect you more than, say, you know, even a Sunday morning service. More so than connect, though, we want to grow your spiritual life. Uh, I, I say the reason I do what I do and the reason why I believe our staff does what we do is to help you grow in Christ, more and more in Christ. Some of you may feel very far from Christ. Some of you may feel that you're close but want to grow more. But the reason we're doing this is to help people grow in Christ. So there are other people that you may know who need to grow in Christ, and they may not dig Sunday morning as much. They may dig something like this. I mean, invite them, and uh, hopefully this will be a place where they can feel at home and feel comfortable and have some food and have some family time and worship God, okay? So uh, have your Bibles, get it out, turn to Genesis 1. Here's what we're going to do this year. You know, several of us actually take that back. Before you turn to Genesis 1, turn to 2 Timothy 3, which is more in the back of the Bible. 2 Timothy 3. And we had a staff retreat in May, and we were talking about Wednesday night. We were planning Wednesday night services, and we were were just in conversation. What do our people need to know? Like, what could we do on Wednesday nights? Yeah, we want to make it creative. Yeah, we want to connect people. But, like, what do they need to know spiritually? What can we give them? What can we provide them with teaching? And it came up over and over again about, you know, we need to expose people to the entire Bible. And, you know, I look, I lean more Jesus and New Testament. Old Testament's great, too. But we came up with this idea. And so it'll be a little bit of an experiment. But say, hey, what if we did the entire Bible through a year? Not every verse that would take, you know, just reading over and over again. But what if we said, how do you see or show our people how you can see the gospel, which is the good news of Christ, through the entire Bible, from Genesis 1 to Revelation? And in doing so, we'd hit every book. I mean, everything from Obadiah 
and I don't think I've ever preached out of Obadiah, to you know, Revelation, don't do much out of Revelation, Genesis to Matthew, Jeremiah to Acts. What if we just spent a year, not, or a school year, and went through the Bible, every book? Well, that excited me, and it excited our staff, and we said, man, let's, let's try it. I mean, even if we, you know, it, I don't think it'll bomb. I think God will use it. But it's like, that's just, that's just cool, and we've never done anything like that, and I think it will be a way, if I were y'all, to say, you know, I want to see this, and I want to see what happens in Micah, and I want to see what happens in Malachi, and how these are connected. So, I wanted to start off with a verse, actually two verses, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, before we hit Genesis 1. And these two verses say, Paul's writing to Timothy, who's a pastor at a church in Ephesus, or Ephesians. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I just want to break these two verses down really quickly because they say four very important things. The first thing they say is all Scripture. They don't say, you know, primarily New Testament. They don't say, you know, a couple, but they say all of Scripture. This entire, this big book, all of Scripture. But they don't say all of Scripture is used for teaching. Get this. The second thing, all of Scripture is breathed out by God. I'd love for y'all to just take a minute, and, and I was going over these, this verse earlier today, and I, that really just rocked my world. All Scripture is, is breathed out by God. Another reason it rocked my world, the word breathed there, the Greek word for it, it's the only time in the New Testament that word is used. And it literally means giving life. Have you ever heard of the Bible as the word of life? The word of life? And that word means giving life. However, this same exact word, but not in Greek, in Hebrew, is used in Genesis 2, where it says God breathed life into man. And so, you know, as I'm processing that, it just, you know, that scripture, the word of God, it's not just written. It's, it's the breath, and breath is life. I mean, if we breathe, we're alive. If we don't, we're dead. The life of God is in God's word. That is, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but that like gives me cold chills. That's like just, it's just amazing to, to fathom that it's not just a book. It's not just a set of books or a compilation. It is the breath of God. It is the life of God. Everything from Genesis to Revelation, everything from Obadiah and Malachi and all those great minor prophets, John 3.16 to Acts 1, it is the life of God for us. And if we study this word, as it goes on to say, it's profitable for teaching, for correction. If you have friends, say, you know, man, you, need, you don't need to do this. You need to turn. And then for training, training in righteousness. I saw Derek again. I see you, buddy. I'm going to pick on you. Derek again, coming in from working out. You've been training. And think about this book, for training, for spiritual training, you know, working out. I said earlier, and it sounds like a cliche, we're here to grow you, to stretch you, to train you spiritually as a staff in ministry. And, and that's what it is, training in righteousness. And then the last, equipped for every good work. That means everything you do. That doesn't just mean come to church. It doesn't just mean serve in family. It doesn't just mean go to a small group. 
Everything you do, the breath of God, the, the life of God can penetrate to train you for spiritual living, to train you for good works for him in the world. That's what Joseph was saying as you go. That is a really is becoming a motto for us that we don't just need pastors and missionaries. We need great people who are Christians who clean houses and mow lawns and have surgery on people and are in court and doing business deals as they go, equipped for every good work. The breath, the life of God grows you and changes your life. To me, that's, that's awesome. So we're starting there and we're saying, we're believing these verses. We're believing 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All of scripture is the breath of God. So with that, let's go to Genesis 1. As it's our first night here, it's our first Wednesday service. Nowhere better to start. Genesis 1, right? Now, everybody knows a lot about Genesis 1. And one of the things we're going to be doing with this whole study, the gospel through the Bible, you know, we can't hit every verse. Uh, We can't even hit every story. But what we want to do is show you how the gospel is throughout the Bible. And a lot of you may not know what gospel means. A lot of you may not know what uh, really the Bible is. I mean, I'm going to ask you all a question, okay? There's going to be some Q&A. Could anybody be bold and brave enough to say, you know, this is what I think the Bible is? Anybody? Please, all right, I'm going to have to pick on somebody. What do you think the Bible is? If you could just say, this is, this is what the Bible is, or this is what the Bible does. God's plan of redemption. God's plan, okay. Wolf, big, big answer there. Good one there. God's plan of redemption. Tough to beat that. God's plan of redemption. Anything else? I mean, like, I could easily say it's, a, it's good advice. A guy book? A guide book. Okay. It is very much a guy book too, though. I mean, David, pretty, pretty much a dude's dude. It's a guy book. If you notice in uh, second, it said man. <laughs> no offense, but <laughs> ESV version. So, it's, but it's a guide book. Okay, God's plan of redemption. A guide book. What else? Anything? The Word of God, breath of God. Okay. Okay. Good answer. What's that? A love story, Jill. If anybody would would say that. Now, the reason, I'm going to stop there, okay. <laughs> Let's put it like this. Uh, some of us like to read. Jill and I like to read. I see Polly back there. She loves her books. You know, think of those of us who like to read. You know, the greatest book you've, Heather Bennett, I know, we're tracking. I know how much you like to read. The greatest book or two or three of the greatest books that you've ever read. You know, why, why do we like those books? Well, you know, it could be a great story could be a great story within the characters. I mean, I love movies too. It, but it's wrapped around this story, and it's wrapped around these great characters. And actually, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, they caught on to this when they wrote Lord of the Rings. They wrote the Narnia books because they would argue that the gospel story, the Bible story, is actually the story within all great stories, all great stories of redemption, all great stories that, that we love sacrifice, Jesus giving himself. They would say the gospel story is in all these stories. It's the story within the story. But going back to God's word, many people look at it as good advice. Many people look at it as, um, you know, good stories that we can learn from, wisdom. But at its, at its core, it is a story. It is a love story. It is God's story about how much he loves you and I, us. And it, is, it does go Genesis through Revelation. So one thing we're going to press throughout the, this year is looking at the Bible as this narrative, as this grand story, as this cosmic story, but yet also a very individual story for you and for me. So I'm going to start Genesis 1, and I, I can't go Genesis 1-1. So 
whoever teaches on you know the nights they get to choose kind of the scripture but we will hit every book so i'm going to choose to start out we're going to go genesis 1 20 through 28 and then verse 31 okay so let's just start here god's creating the world where's the gospel where's the story in this genesis 20 God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth, above the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening, there was morning, the fifth day. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God blessed him, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Stop right there. Move to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. The Bible as a story, a great story, a love story, that story, if I could just put it simply, would be four words. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. That there was creation and there was a fall. And here, we're focused on the creation part. And so if you just look in these simple verses and these passages, uh, a lot sticks out to me. I don't know if it does to y'all. I mean, some of y'all have probably read Genesis 1 over and over again. And someone's like, you know, it's just, you know, you know God created, created. Well, the first thing I want y'all to, to look at is that there are a lot of kinds in this passage. You get that? Did you hear me say a lot of, I mean, I call myself, you know, kind, according to its kind, like its kind, to their kinds, to their kinds, according to their, it's like, I think, ten kinds. Every creature, he says, okay, so create it according to its kind, that there's great diversity from the insects that crawl to the fish of the sea to the birds of the air. All the, there's a lot of diversity here. And then there's a difference when he makes humans. There are no kinds. And, and we're diverse people. I mean, from, from all over the world. And, and you see that diversity if you go into Revelation, that they're all tongues and tribes kneeling before the king. But here, it's, it's very different. It's like, all let us, and we believe that, make man in our image, that we have something different than all these other kinds after our likeness. And he doesn't use the world kinds. He's just like, make Man. Then he goes on to say, God blessed them, that God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created male and female. It says, in our image, after our likeness. And I say that because, yes, there's diversity, but there is, there is something of, of God has put his touch on each and every individual life that, you know, you could say it, you know, you are special, you are created by God. I know some of y'all have heard that. If you go back to Genesis 1, he distinctly made us as humans, you know, very, very different from all of his other creation. It's like, I'm going to put my, my touch on them. Let us 
make them in our image, after our likeness. That there's a, there's a bit of, and we're fallen too, as we'll see in Genesis 3, but a bit of the very breath of God in us. And so I don't know where you are in life. You may be questioning God. You may be here because you have to be here. You may, you know, love God, but you can, we can always love him more. God, there is this, there is this, his image in us, in us, his likeness in us. And we're created by him to shine forth his glory. And how you do that is going on in this passage. Because then he gives us responsibilities and a role. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Definitely have kids, procreate, all that stuff. But then subdue the earth. And that word subdue in the Hebrew literally means to take land, take things, the other creation, and form it and create things out of that. And so, you know, since Genesis, from agriculture to today's technology, we have done that. And I say that because some of you here, well, I mean, the majority of you here, you're not pastors, uh, you're not missionaries. And as you go, the work you do, whether it be in technology or manufacturing or agriculture or medical, it, it can go all the way back to Genesis 1. And you can tie your work into God's command for our lives. The subduing of his creation is a good thing. Subduing can sound like a bad word, but really it's, it's God's command for us to subdue it, to create out of it, to do good work. You were created good, you have a spark of the divine in you, and then your work can showcase his glory. And the last verse, it says, God saw everything that he made, behold, it was good. So, you know, one of the things I'd love for you to leave here with is knowing that tomorrow when you go to work, that your perspective might change on what you do. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're an accountant, whatever it is you do, God created you good, and now you're in the business of subduing and creating, and it can bring glory to God. That's, that was his call. That was his command. It's not just artists, not just CK, Brother Chris. All of us are artists. All of us have the divine in us, and all of us have the responsibility. Now then, move forward to Genesis 2. Something else I just want to highlight that within... God's creation within the gospel story, also a part of being in his image, there is relationship. Not just the Trinity, but God says, hey, you know, the dude is lonely. Anybody get lonely here? I, I get lonely all the time, and I'm married. So it was innate in us, and that's not a bad thing on Linda. It's just I'm a lonely guy. I, you know, I, I get down and out. Derek, you with me, brother? You're tracking with me. Yeah, you're but God said, and I wanted to highlight this, I could not skip over it. I just couldn't skip over it in Genesis 2. Man's lonely, so he says, I've got to make, I've got to make a, a mate, a helper for my creation, Adam. So, anyway, to skip over, he goes through Genesis 2 and gets Adam's rib and creates Eve. And verse 24 is the only one I'll read in Genesis 2. But it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And this is before Genesis 3 and the bad stuff starts happening. Yet, at the beginning of creation, God doesn't want us to be alone. He wants us to have a relationship. People always ask me, man, why do we do the church? You know, why do I have to come to church? I mean, you know, 
Can't I just like have my quiet time and that be my relationship? No. We're made for relationship. There was the Trinity. He said, let us make man in our image. And the most intimate of relationships is marriage. And, you know, I always say Genesis 2.24 is the greatest marital advice I can give. That a man should leave his family and create a new family with his wife and that they would be one. I don't have to get into the two becoming one uh, because that's really a whole nother message or a whole nother wedding homily. However, I always say this too, in the South, and I may get in trouble by saying this, but that's never caused me to stop before. In the South, we don't really practice the, uh, the man leaving and cleaving. It's really just like we marry and, and, you know, the wife just added to the fold, added to the clan. And so, anyway, that can bring about uh, a lot of complications with in-laws and family and all that. And I always say, if you abide by Genesis 2.24, which does not mean like a clean severing break, but the two becoming one, the man being the man, leaving, cleaving to his wife. Yeah. Just saying, had to say that, couldn't go past Genesis 2 without it. The last thing in Genesis tonight is in Genesis 3, and this is when really the, uh, you know, everything's good, you know, Adam has responsibility, he's got great work, he was lonely, got Eve, living in harmony, everything they had. And then, I hate snakes. Y'all like snakes? I hate snakes. You know, the serpent comes up. Genesis 3, verse 1. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. More crafty. We know what happens. He tempted Eve, tempted Adam, and they chose poorly. Now then, there's actually a lot of the grand narrative, the big story, just in Genesis 1 through 3. Because you have creation and you have the fall. And everybody says, like, you know, what was the fall about? What was, you know, was it an apple? Did they just want to be, you know, did they just want to be wise? I mean, why was it so bad? It's so bad because their sin is our sin. What Adam and Eve did is what, look, I do it probably every hour of every day. It's why we say repentance should be a way of life, is I want to be my own God. I want to be my own king. I want to be my own Lord and Savior. God says, here is paradise for you, and you can have everything, but I just give you one rule, just, just one law, just, just one obligation. There's this tree, don't eat of it. And a lot of us would say, I mean, I say it all the time, like, why? Why does it matter? Why is it a tree? And God could easily say, because I'm God. I created all this. Can't I just, you know, I'm God. Here's, here's the deal. Here's what you don't do. And yet we, and use myself, I and myself will say, well, why not? And then we'll search ways to get around and to do our thing and to, to be our own Savior and Lord. And that is what many of us, uh, what many writers have called the sin beneath the sins. The sin beneath the sins. Some of y'all heard me say that. They're sins that are explicit. You know, you murder, pretty big sin. You know, you cheat, you steal, you lie, you gossip. These are sins externally. There's this sin beneath the sin. It's what C.S. Lewis called actually the, the original, original sin. The sin beneath the sin is pride. And pride says, I know that you created me. I know you're Lord, but really in my heart, I want to be God. Really, I want to be Lord. And 
and we fall. So we have creation and we have the fall. So what do we do? Are we stuck? Well, God gave grace. God gave grace here in that uh, he didn't kill Adam and Eve. I mean, he could have. Like, you know, the one, one deal I asked you not to do, you didn't. Uh, he allowed them to live. Uh, they would, it'd be painful, as it is for us. Uh, life is pain. Uh, we till soil daily. That's hard. That's rough soil. Um, Eve, you know, childbearing, not much fun, you know, and uh, seen it, and some of y'all have lived through it. He says, so your life's going to be filled with pain. And then there's also the pain of, and I want to get back to Adam and Eve, because uh, there's a guy named Thomas Akempis. Some of y'all may have read Thomas Akempis. He was, uh, uh, he was he's regarded as a saint in, uh, in the Catholic Church, but he wasn't Catholic. Thomas Akempis, and he wrote this book called The Imitation of Christ, and part of it he wrote on Adam and Eve. He said, Adam and Eve actually represents each and every one of us because each and every one of us faces, well, you might not think it's severe, but it is, severe temptation every day. I mean, every day of our lives. The temptation is don't lean on God, don't rely on Him, uh, don't repent. You can be your own God. You can, you can do it. You can do it better than God. We face that temptation every day. Thomas Akempis said, though, that temptation is actually a really good thing, that if you know that, it keeps you very humble. Uh, it will make you very patient. And if you don't realize you're tempted or if you don't even feel, and there's some explicit temptations too, and we can talk about that. I'm a big believer in spiritual warfare. When believer he presses in, sometimes with people, sometimes with situations. But there's daily temptation of wanting to be your own God. And Thomas Akempis says sometimes we have to embrace that as Christians. We have to embrace it because we can't do it on our own. It humbles us. And it makes us patient to wait on God for his hand and for Christ. So I want to close today, tonight, with this passage of Scripture because the question is, how can we, you might say, fight temptation? How can we overcome temptation? How can we, how can we know that we can have victory? The easy answer is Jesus. But I think some of you here want more than just the easy answer. And Wednesday nights, it's not always going to be about the easy answer. We want to go deep. So I want to use a passage. And again, we want to show the gospel throughout the Bible. And I want to show connections in Scripture. So from Genesis 1, we're going to go to Romans 5. So you could flip through your Bibles to Romans 5. And I want to read. It's kind of a long passage, but it is a, it is a doozy if you get into it. And if I had any advice for you, leave it tonight. I would just say meditate on these, uh, these eight verses over and over again. Because it connects here. Paul connects Romans 5 with Genesis 1 through 3. And this is how we can know we can live in victory. This is how we can know we can overcome temptation. This is how we can embrace even temptation to give us humility and give us patience. But Paul says it a lot better than I could. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, 
how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man Jesus Christ abounded for many the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification for if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteousness. I want to stop there. That big theological word there, justification, really means being saved, what we're talking about on Sunday mornings. And for whatever reason, and I really don't know this, there's a, a lot of mystery to it, there's a lot of gray in scripture like Adam sinned so why don't we get his junk and we inherited it and Paul goes into this now because one man's sin that means all of us have his sin but then on the opposite and this is the beauty of the gospel the beauty of the gospel because one man Jesus the second Adam the new Adam because he stood in our place because he said I'm going to do what they could not do because he saved us all of us have his grace there's nothing we have to do I was having lunch with a guy today and he said you know I get it now but I could see man in college I was just questioning all the time I was like this is just crazy I don't, I don't have to do anything just accept I was like yeah yeah and he says well I get it now there is a purity to the gospel there is this beauty to it Paul writes as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Death entered into the world. Sin into the world. We all have it. Then he says, the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That verse 17, that's the best one to close on. I don't know if you know what you think you need to know. Probably all of you could know that there's sin in us. But I want you to know that because of what Jesus has done, there is grace right there for the taking. And that grace allows you to overcome temptation, to know you have victory, no matter what you're going through in life. It gives us humility. It gives us patience because we know we can't do it on our own. And we can lean on Jesus. Yes, Adam sinned. Yes, we have that in us. But over and above, so much more importantly, Jesus did it, the second Adam, and he has victory. So we want you to know that. We'll continue looking at this, the gospel through the whole Bible. But let's pray now. Jesus, thank you for what you've done, that you did, you've done and you did what we could never do. Dear Lord, I pray that the gospel would penetrate us as we look through Scripture, maybe verses we've never had a good look at maybe things that we didn't know but we would see this love story and it is it is so much a love story that uh, you loved us before we were here you loved us before time you loved us before we could fathom and you knew that that this stuff this this sin was in us of and you still loved us even when we deserve when we deserve your wrath you give us your grace 
I pray that I would know that personally more and more, and I pray the people who come here would know that more and more. And it wouldn't just be a hard thing, it would be a practical thing lived out, and it would change the way we work, it would change the way we have our relationships, it would change our marriages, that we can rely on your grace, and that would lead us to be humble and patient and loving for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.